0: Hi and welcome to Let's Listen with Kieran McBreen, I'm Andrew Ward. Hi Kieran, how are you today?
1: I'm wonderful Andrew, thank you.
0: So we've just come up a recording with Jane Brown talking about domestic abuse and, and like we ha- we say this a lot but this is a really challenging interview again isn't it?
1: It is Andrew, um, just sitting here listening to Jane speak, you know it's heartbreaking and it's it's heartbreaking to hear what people, what people have gone through in order to be where they are today and um, we use the word transformation a lot in these podcasts, and you know clearly there's a massive transformation in Jane's life, and and she 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 shares how how she met this transformation happen in the podcast.
0: And she talks about dealing like living with or being married to a narcissist, and the the psychological impact that that had her, and and what she had to do you know that that point in the story when she talks about what she had to do to protect her children and then that in turn led her to have to protect them by leaving him and that was the catalyst that gave her the step to go
1: it was you know it, it was I had a rock bottom moment where for me I could see it in her eyes she just had mm. absolutely lost every inch of hope in her partner and when hope was gone Clearly, there's nothing left.
0: Now, we say this all the time. We are dealing with some very emotive, very difficult issues here. If if this triggers you in any way, please either reach out to me and Kieran in the first instance or someone who you trust and feel safe with in your own lives. This is a difficult listen, but this is Jane Brown.
1: Jane, tell me your big why. What brings you here with us today?
2: My big why is domestic abuse. I am very passionate about having open and honest conversations about this topic because there is a lot of people who are suffering in silence, and I've come to this realization being a beauty therapist for twenty eight years. So I've chatted to a lot of ladies, and it's amazing at how many ladies open up to you, even when you could be doing a bikini wax. <laughs> or a pedicure, or any kind of treatment. And I was becoming consciously aware of how I was responding to my clients um, opening up to me. And um, I've suffered, you know, I was with a covert narcissist for nine years, and had no idea. And I can still remember the day when I had the aha moment, and it was just like everything started to makes sense. And it's, a, a, abusive relationships are confusing relationships. They are not black and white. And you hear so many people say, well, I wouldn't put up with that. And why doesn't she just leave? And it really is not as simple. So I kind of want to become more of an advocate of making people aware so people can support friends and family a little bit more compassionately. And a little bit more with kindness and less judgment because there's nothing worse than somebody that goes, oh, I could see straight through them. Or, oh, I wouldn't put up with that because you're consumed with shame anyway. You, you feel an idiot. You feel, well, you, you have no self-esteem because that person has just taken it away from you. And for me, it wasn't physical. It was all emotional. It was all emotional, and i abuse is abuse, so there isn't any good or bad or anything like that, but I think with emotional abuse you you don't see the wounds, the wounds and the scars are very much hidden, and it really affects you and how you go about and how you navigate, how you show up in the world and Yet the hardest part is leaving. Hundred percent, the hardest part is leaving, and it's also the 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 most dangerous part. You know, people say, "Why don't you just leave?" Well, I think the percentage is something like in in England, like forty five percent of women are killed when they leave. So it isn't just it isn't just a case of let's just pack up and go. It has to it's a process that takes time and has to be planned very very carefully for for my own personal experience it you know and i left my partner 6 years ago and i'm still unraveling 6 years later and i'm still having moments that i go god wow i put up with that and, and 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 knowledge gives you power so you know i when i speak to people you know my clients or my coaching clients it it is about having open and honest conversations and and not being consumed by a shame and because this isn't your fault. You know, you didn't ask for it. You didn't want it. You know, you didn't fall in love with a predator. You felt love with somebody. Well, you actually fell in love with an illusion. And I think that was the hardest part for me to accept is that the person who I thought was the the man of my dreams actually wasn't. I, I kind of fell in love with somebody who... I hoped was a person of my dreams.
1: Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. And no, just I, I'd love to just go back to the start. And if you can give us a picture of this relationship and, and you know, how it begun.
2: Well, it could become what well, we've been the, the, the best relationship ever. You know, you think you found your soulmate. You have this incredible connection. You're having great fun. And you're just thinking, wow, this is this man gets me, he understands me. And you just think it's quite euphoric. It, it, it really is amazing. And then the, the little signs that just start to happen. And, and I know the relationship, when I look back now, was so different to other, like for my ex-husband, who I was with for 12 years. It, there's so many ups and downs. You know, we, we split up so many times. And it was, he would never hold himself accountable. He would always um, blame me for everything. It was always my fault. Um, And it was just the very, very, very sly little digs that he would give. Like one example, we were going out and I was wearing, I thought, a lovely dress. And uh, he just looked at me and went, well, you can see through that. And it was just in his tone. And I just knew, went back upstairs, I got changed. You know and and kind of people might think that's quite insignificant but actually when that keeps happening over time these very sly little digs or the little belittling you know i i was you know a few years older so it was always you know the little mocking the little jokes and that just keep kind of taking just knock you down a little bit so they're very it's very subtle and, and like i said there's just highs and lows highs and lows and it's exhausting. You're kind of like going round on a on a roundabout, going round and round and round, and you're just thinking, "God, I'm having the same conversations. We're arguing about the same things because they have, you know, they don't have your best interest at heart. They they don't care about you. They don't care about what you think. You're just a supply to them. You're feeding them your, um, your energy. In fact, they probably need you more than you need them." Because they lack a lot of self confidence, believe it or not. So yeah, very very chaotic, very very turmoil, very um, very very lonely, very lonely. Yeah, you feel very lost, and but for me, people often think you know how how did I even ask myself how did I you know stay for nine years? But because you hold on to the good. And when it was good, it was really good. But then, you know, the bads were, you know, just like the silent treatment. You know, I never knew in my relationship that silent treatment is actually a form of abuse. Because us as human beings, we actually need that human interaction. And when somebody ignores us, it, it, it kind of sends us into a state of, you just feel absolutely worthless. And so then you kind of go into this crazy woman uh, and, and, and grasping on to try and get this attention. And that's why they do it. That's why they do it. But it's, it, it's,
1: it's painful. Thank you, Jen. And do you think there was an element of where he wanted full control over you? 100%. 100%. Yeah, but but at the same
2: time is... I kind of felt like I was in charge of the household. So he, but it was like I was, he was reliant on me. But what he would do is he would do everything for me. But intent, there was always an emotive behind it. He didn't do it out of love. He would do something and then he knew that he could use that against me.
1: Jen, what was the lowest point?
2: The lowest point for me... Uh, was when I got pregnant we'd been trying for a year, and um he again led me to believe that this is what he wanted and um it would you know it he he we, we'd had a very we partied a lot we had a very party lifestyle that's how we met it was fun time, but i'd got to that point where i'd had enough and i wanted you know i wanted out and thought you know let 's have a child I already had a child to my ex husband and I really wanted to hit her to have a brother or sister. It was during that time in that pregnancy where I stepped away from the party scene, because of course I was pregnant, and he didn't. So he carried on doing all the things that he promised me that he wouldn't do. And because for the first time I had so much clarity, because obviously I wasn't drinking or doing drugs, so I could see things. I had a really, really... Really life-threatening pregnancy, which is called placenta previa. So at twenty-four weeks, I hemorrhaged, and we was at a wedding, and I'd said to him at this wedding, "Don't get hammered, because there's a chance that we might have to go to hospital because I had a bit of spotting." And the doctors always said to me, "If you get any kind of bleeding, you have to go to hospital because there's a very high chance you can die. You could bleed to death." And I kind of, kind of didn't believe it. <laughs> And lo and behold, we went to the wedding. It was in York, beautiful day. It got to about 11 o'clock and I said, you know, I really need to, you know, I want to go back to hotel room. And he left me in the hotel room and went back to party. And then I said to him, please don't be late. And he then started giving me grief and being verbally abusive for me whilst he was out. And that's when I had my first bleed. And I was in the hotel room on my own, hemorrhaging at 24 weeks. And that was probably at my lowest. Couldn't get hold of him. Finally did. He came in a taxi, took me to the hospital where I had to stay for a week. You know, they wouldn't move me because that's how high risk I was. Because from the distance. And so that was the point where you just feel worthless. You're carrying somebody's child. This should be the best moment, you know, be somebody they're loving and nurturing you and they're choosing to go out and partying. And I could start seeing that more and more. So the pregnancy should have been the happiest time, but it was actually the, the lowest time.
1: Yeah. Jen, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. I'm sure it's very, very difficult yeah. for you. So we do appreciate it. Jen, after that, where did you want to go? You know, you hit your lowest point and I'm assuming, you know, you're you're probably torn. You, you've got the excitement of a newborn child and, and then the confusion of a partner that's not fully around. Where did you want to go at this stage? What was your head telling you? Do you know,
2: Kieran, at that very time, what was, it, it was just getting through the pregnancy. I kind of just dissociated myself from it because there was other moments. There was many times where, you know, he wasn't coming home and... You know, I I went on to have another five more bleeds, you know, massive bleeds. And so at that time, it was just, I just need to get through this pregnancy. And once that happened, the bleeding would stop. And, you know, you kind of just hope everything would be right. I'd always held on to so much to family because of my own father abandoning uh, me when I was younger. And my ex-husband, he left me when I was four months pregnant with my first child so that's why i i held on to family that was so important to me to to create um a family home that that that's what i was yeah that that's the most important thing to me so um i was just always hoping that he would do right by us and he would change his ways and and he didn't and you just and then the baby comes along, and then you just you, you're occupied with that and you're 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 plowing your love into that baby and um then I got an infection, so then I had to get rushed into hospital and and then I think what my real wake up call was when I soon started to realise and understand what a covert narcissist was, because all the little signs were coming and I was doing more reading now and having more awareness was when my little boy got sick. We'd actually split up, as we did many, many times. And then it was a weekend we were away and once again trying to patch things up, as we did many times, because they're very good at giving you the chat and they're so charming. And again, led you to believe that they're, they're, they're really sincere and they've got good intentions. And we came back um, and... Yeah, Bobby got a very, very, very high temperature. That's my son at 16 months old to then turn out to be. It was meningitis and your whole life turns upside down. And it was when we got taken into intensive care where little Bobby at 16 months old was fighting for his life that his father slept for eight hours. And that's that. That's all I needed to see. It was, you know, how could somebody sleep when their child is dying? And you kind of... Because that's how he controlled me was through my children because he knew my story of the abandonment from my father, the abandonment from my first, you know, my husband, ex-husband. So that's how they manipulate you and that's how they control you. Anyway, my little uh, boy came round and we went to the children's ward and bearing in mind, I'd been probably up for five days, you know, caring for this little boy because they leads you into a very false sense of security, Does meningitis. And, um, I'll always remember, um, uh, I was in the children's ward and caring for Bobby and he comes in. This is the, 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 the father. Okay. No, oh, it's my friend's birthday, but we're going to go out for a beer. You don't mind. Do you? you know when you're just like are you kidding me and and then next minute on facebook he's putting a picture of him with all his mates sitting in the sunshine and i'm literally on my knees so i always have a clear message when somebody shows you their true colors don't try and repaint them and i try to repaint this man many many times and that was a lesson that I will, um, I will, yeah, just keep sharing is don't try and repaint them. Because again, it's like a kick in the teeth. And do you know what the funny thing is? Do you know what he said to me is when I questioned it another time, We was having a bit of an argument and I, and I pulled out and he went, well, you said I could, you said it was okay. And that's a life with a narcissist. But you said they're very good at changing things around. But unfortunately, it took my son nearly dying to give me the strength and give me the wake-up call to really go, enough's enough.
1: First of all, Jen, Bobby is extremely lucky to have you as a mother. So thank, thank you. you for that. Thank <laughs> you for all the care you give to him. Thank you. Um, for, for our listeners, Jen, can you just te- tell everybody, you know, how would you describe a narcissist?
2: Very self-centered. It's all about them. They have this ego, this big inflated ego that they think they're so superior. They think that they're, you know, they're number one. And you never, you never feel seen or heard around them because they're not listening to you. You know, they're, um, and they're energy drainers. You know, they suck the energy away from you. They're, they're exhausting and they they're chaotic. They always have a lot of drama going on in their lives and, um, and with covert narcissists they're the most they're the most slight because they can be so charming so so charming and you think that they're they're doing everything with good intentions, but they don't everything that they're doing there's an ulterior motive so it's like never ask anything from a narcissist because they'll they'll expect you know so much back from it
1: and it's the big question now is what happened next um you know, you found this courage, I'm assuming, to, to do something and to take action. Tell us tell us all about it, please.
2: My son um, had to learn to, to walk. He had to learn to sit up and he had to crawl again. But it actually it took his hearing, did the meningitis, so it left him deaf. So actually, I couldn't put my attention onto the narcissist, which, of course, he hated because it wasn't about him. I I had a great distraction, and I went on an absolute beautiful journey of getting my son hearing again. So he hears through cochlear implants, which are just, you know. So I made the decision then that I'm bringing up my child as a hearing child, not as a deaf child. I, I worked on him, but whilst I was working on him, I was working on myself. And obviously, knowledge gives you power. So the more I studied, the more I understood about narcissists, and the more I understood about myself. You know, I gave myself the time to work on myself to figure out who I was so I could become a better parent to both my children. Yeah, that gave me the, the strength to um, literally pack up and, and move to 160 miles away to get away from him and just thought I've had enough of this because I had to get my son fixed. So I fixed him and then I was like, wow, I need to fix myself now. To, to really, to uh, be the best parent I possibly could. And uh, yeah, move to the beautiful Cotswolds and uh, set up my own beauty salon. And hey, here I am, still, still thriving and still going. Yeah, I did it.
1: Fantastic, Jay. Yeah. great to hear. Um, and I've no doubt that this, this transformation and this taking action wasn't easy. What strategies did you implement at this time?
2: Yeah, it really is not an easy journey to pull yourself away from um, a narcissist because of the trauma bonding. You know, they do say it's a, it's like a chemical imbalance uh, in the brain. It, it's like they say it's like coming off heroin. It's like an addiction, like a heroin addiction. As I keep saying, information, study, learn as much as you possibly can about the traits of a narcissist. Boundaries, you have to have strong boundaries because you have to go no contact because you have to pull yourself away, you know, and literally pull yourself away. But you, when you've got children, you can't do that. So you have to have really strong, firm boundaries. They call it grey rock. So you literally show no emotion and you don't engage in really any conversation with them. It's like doing a really stale business <laughs> transaction. Just keep it to very factual, don't engage and do everything either through email or through Messenger, so you can create a paper trail. Because I did end up going through the family courts. I went through two years in the family courts. So you need to create a paper trail and boundaries and and really work on yourself.
1: Looking back, Jen, is there anything you would have done differently?
2: Not had a child with him. (laughs) Listen to my gut instinct. Never, ever discredit your gut instinct. I had so many warning signs that kept saying to me, he is not good for you. Don't give him the time of day. And I ignored it because I didn't value myself. I didn't have any self-worth. There were many times that, yeah, my body was letting me know and I ignored it and I will never, ever do that again.
1: If you're comfortable, Jen, to go to here how is it now with this gentleman what's um is there any relationship at all
2: well there has to be because there's no getting away from it he's the father to my child so and he's quite not letting go of that you know and and I actually don't want him to because I know what it's like to not have you know an abandonment from your father and and it does affect you as you're growing up massively and what I did was through I made him take me to court because I, I knew his lifestyle was the lifestyle I'd lived for many years, and I know how toxic it is. I know how bad it is and I accepted the, the 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 fact that it wasn't healthy and I didn't want my child to be brought up in a lifestyle that I'd pulled away from, so it needed to be safe and so um yeah we we actually we actually kind of get on as, as best we can because i've done so much work on myself that I am so grounded and 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 he and I can he's so transparent (laughs) so he's actually really predictable and I and I can navigate him and I have very very minimal contact with him and you know my son sees him every two weeks he has to come down here because that's what the court order is I've got a court order protecting him that was you know paramount for me and um you know and I, I kind of had to show him that what I was saying was right because he I got my validation in a court of law basically so I think because of that I got peace I got closure and everything that I was trying to say to him the courts backed me up and said that I was absolutely quite right so I would—I don't really second guess myself that much so yeah I still have to have firm boundaries but at the end of the day he is he is here and my son absolutely adores his daddy and they go out and have a great day together and that's what matters because that's giving my son his identity as his father as both his parents and that's all i've ever wanted for both of my children
1: amazing stuff jane you you just you're so inspirational and and for anybody out there listening you know what advice would you like to give to anybody man or woman who's in a relationship that's that's toxic that's not positive
2: You deserve so much more. A relationship is based on adult-adult conversation between love and trust and communication and commitment. And it's about growing together. And if you're being left crying yourself to sleep every night and not feeling seen or heard, you know, just start making the steps to get out. You are worth so much more. I nearly lost my son, and it's only when you nearly lose something that you appreciate it so much. And I nearly lost myself to a narcissist. And and I know why I ended up putting up with so much, and that's giving me so much more clarity. And I'd always say to people, just stop putting up. Stop tolerating bad behavior. Life is too short and too precious, and it should be spent with somebody who uh, yeah respects you and, and who wants to be with you and has your best interest
1: and for anybody Jane who may be not in that position mentally to have the strength to take action themselves is there any help out there any resources available for stuff like this
2: oh there's lots of resources yeah you've got women's aid you know you've got refuge You've got, you know, therapists out there and you've got like me, you know, life coaches. That's part of my coaching practice, is 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 actually I help domestic abuse survivors rebuild their lives, give them the tools. Um, and you know, I look back now and think, God, I wish I wish I knew I had, you know, I wish there was people out there. I struggled, you know, for six years on my own trying to figure this out. And I don't want people to go through six years figuring stuff out. So There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of fantastic people out there who are um, there to educate you. Yeah. And so just find a community, you know, again, find a community of people, because a lot of people who are not who haven't been in a domestic abuse situation or been with a narcissist, they don't understand. They don't get it. So find a community community. Yeah. yeah,
1: and what we can do is, Jane, we can we can put these links up yeah. um, with the post, you know, to help those out there. Absolutely. Jane, before we go, what's next for Jane and Bobby?
2: Jane, Bobby, and Madison, and my daughter. Oh, and Madison. Yeah, Madison <laughs> Bobby. What's next? Well, for, for little Bobby's thriving. I mean, he's your very active seven-year-old boy who is just, you know, into sports, tennis, cricket. Uh, My daughter is a, a beautiful young 18 year old who is, you know, got a car now. She's working. She's off. So she's living her best life. And for me, I'm building a new coaching practice That's I'm trying to pull away a little bit from the beauty side because I've been working on people on an external level for 28 years. Now I really want to get to the deep inner work and really help people. Thrive in life i'm living proof you know i i was at rock bottom and didn't value myself had low self-esteem and now yeah i i'm 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 doing good
1: jane i'm delighted to hear and you know your passion for for this your passion for yourself and for your family is just shining out in this interview so thank you for sharing this this very difficult story with us we really appreciate it
2: thank you so much thank you
1: Jennifer, our listeners, where can they find you?
2: Where they can find me, they can find me on Reconnect and Thrive on Facebook. And you can find me on Reconnect and Thrive Life Coach on Instagram. And I've also got a a, a website. So yeah, it's reconnectandthrive.com
1: fantastic and we can also put them links on the post jane thank you so much for your time i've got no doubt that this story will help many people out
0: there Uh, so thank you
2: thank you so
0: much thank you so kieran that was jane brown and that was a hell of a story wasn't it it sure was
1: andrew jane has been true to wars she spoke so well the passion she has for what she's doing now the care and love she was giving to her, her children and that she eventually realised she had to give to herself in order to make change happen. But the pain was there and it was definitely, it was definitely a, a disturbing listen, um, but an extremely powerful listen that I've got no doubt will help others.
0: And you you hear about abuse, don't you? And and like you hear about it in the third person party, but when someone's actually talking about the experience they went through, it like you just, you just hold your head in your hands at times, don't you? You really do hold your head in your hands.
1: You do. And, um, you know, as, as, as you know yourself with this, the whole idea is, is to keep the focus on the interviewee, you know, so I try and sit back and not interrupt, not intervene, not even probe. I want it to be about their story and, and Jane. Jane just rolled with it and went with it. And um, we could have spoke for hours. I don't know how you mm. felt, but we, we could have sat here for yeah, hours absolutely.
0: talking. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was so, again, uh, we see this a lot in our, these shows that we do, is the transformation that, you know, if you, if you look at her Instagram account that she was talking about, the transformation in just the pictures of the before and after seven years ago versus today, it, it's an amazing story, really.
1: It is. And, and the key is, you know, Jen will be successful because she's had the pain, she's had the experience. You know, I know any listener out there who's going through something similar will want to speak to Jane. Why? Because she's done it. She's got out on the right side of it. She's seen the light. She's living a happy, healthy life now. And, um, but it clearly wasn't as easy as that. And it wasn't always like that. So um, in any aspect of life, you know, we look at people, we look at role models. We look at people who are doing what we want, you know. And we need to model this behavior. We need to see what they're doing and see if we can, you know, I don't like to use the word copy, but it is copy. You know, we copy behavior. I use it a lot when I work with teenagers about, you know, look at people who you want to be like and just be like them. Just do it. You know, and that could be as simple as, you know, as, as a student in a class struggling. Let's say, for example, they're struggling in an English lesson you know, look at the person who's really good at English and just see what they're doing and see if I can replicate that, see if you can replicate that, you know? So um, modeling behavior, there'll be to be people out there. And I say people because I don't, you know, this story isn't just about, about women being abused. Lots of men out there are being abused too, you know? So, mm-hmm. so for people who are being abused, it's important to hear Jane's story and, and have a look at her strategies and give it a go.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it really was. It's always lovely to hear these, these stories end on a, on a positive note, although there is so much more work to go through. That was, that was Jane Brown and that was Jane's story. Now, next week is the final show in the series. And we have a very special guest next week, don't we?
1: We do. I'm going to talk about me. Mm-hmm. And as you know, it's, it's certainly something I don't like to do. But in the industry, I'm working on is It's something I do need to do you know, and um, yeah, watch
0: this space. And you're going to be interviewed by an expert interviewer.
1: I believe so. I believe so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> And if ever there's a case of somebody just sitting back and listening, that will be next week. So that is next week where we are going to, uh, we're going to hear Kieran talk about my first question. So uh, so Kieran, why, why are you here today? But that's on the next week's show. That was Jane Brown, and we will see you next time.